All right, so we will be back in Ephesians chapter 3 this evening. Uh, so you can turn there as we get ready to continue through God's Word. Uh, we are going to be picking up where we, we left off, and we'll, we'll kind of start with some of the same questions and thoughts as we're getting ready to walk through this text, and that is, uh, is our thinking about the church, is it lined up with God's thinking about the church? Do we see the church the way that God sees the church? Is our commitment to the church uh, the same level of commitment that God has to the church? Uh, another another way of saying it, a fancy way of saying it is, does our our orthodoxy, our doctrine about the church, does it match our orthopraxy, which is our practice in life? So what we say we believe about the church or what we know to believe about the church, is that lived out in our lives? Is it, is it practice? Do we have that that same commitment and love to the church that that the Lord does? So those are some of the questions that uh, that we started with. Some of the questions that that I've been uh, thinking about personally: Do I have that same commitment, uh, love uh, for the church? Uh, if if we, you know, like I said this morning, if if things get difficult, if it becomes harder to meet, do I still have a commitment to meet with believers? Um, you know what is what is God's viewpoint of that? How does God feel about that? Do we do we meet? And we looked at the the life of Paul, and I'm sure we could determine what Paul's perspective in the matter is. Right, he was in prison for preaching the word, for establishing churches, and while in prison, he writes about the gospel. So Paul's Paul's perspective was certainly that uh, it is God's will, desire that we meet, that we gather as believers. And are we doing what we can on our end to facilitate that? So those are some of the, the questions and thoughts, some of the challenges that we, we need to think through when we think about the church. Uh, again, in, in our current political climate, it might not, uh, we might not be able to, to meet as, as readily. Uh, who knows what's, what, uh, what's, what's going on or how the Lord will, will work, but it's a thing that's happened throughout history that there's been places where it has not been safe to meet, and uh, the believers uh, gathered where they could gather in secrecy or in safety, because that is uh, what the Lord would have them to do. So just as a a little aside here as we go in, I I mentioned this morning that the the New Testament uses uh, numerous different metaphors uh, for church, and all those metaphors kind of teach us a different aspect of what the church is. And I, I just kind of ran through the book of Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 1, 4, and 5, he refers to the church as the body of Christ. In chapter 2, he refers to the church as the household of God. Also in chapter 2, he refers to the church as the, a holy temple and a dwelling of God. Those are all in chapter 2. And then if we, if we stretch just a little bit in chapter 5, we have the church as the bride of Christ because he makes that comparison in a, in a marriage of how a husband's to love a wife and he compares it to the love that uh, Christ has for the church. So this kind of a, uh, and it's a metaphor that's used elsewhere. That's why I say it's, it's a little bit of a stretch from that particular passage, but it, it's, it's certainly used throughout Scripture. 
So those are some of the, the things to consider as we continue through this, this passage here. And, and let's open up with a word of prayer before we dive into the text. Father, we thank you again just for the, the ability uh, to gather, uh, the ability to spend time looking into your word. Your word that tells us uh, everything that we need to know for, for life and godliness. You tell us how we, we ought to live, how we ought to think. And Lord, pray that uh, you would help each of us as we um, endeavor and, and struggle to, to do the things that your word says uh, for your glory. Uh, because we love you out of, uh, and we want to um, obey. Pray that uh, you would work that within us. We pray that uh, we would... Uh, grow in our understanding of what the church is as we look through this passage, that we would uh, see it the way that you see it, that we would uh, uh, love the church as you do, and that uh, we would carry forth those just those different uh, implications of how that would be played out in our lives, what that would mean for how we conduct ourselves uh, each and every day. Pray that uh, you would... Just give me clarity as we continue on through this, and and may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, we'll read through the text again, and then do a little bit of review, and then we'll pick up uh, where we left off. So again, in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which is given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the ministry, mystery uh, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with his eternal purpose, which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confidence, confident access through him, uh, uh, through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. So this morning we, uh, we looked at, we started going through the four uh, foundational truths about the mystery that he develops in the first uh, section here that we looked at. And uh, the first was, he answers the question, uh, how was the mystery delivered? He, he gave us the means of delivery of the mystery, and that was by revelation of God and through directly commissioning Paul to carry forth the message of the gospel. 
Uh, the second thing we looked at is he, he answers the question, when was it delivered? And so that's the timing. And the timing was it, it was at God's perfect timing according to God's perfect will. Uh, he, it was hidden in God. Uh, the, the mystery was hidden in God and he revealed it when he uh, was ready according to his, again, according to his purpose at the fullness of time. And then the third one that we looked at is it answers the, the question, what does it entail? And we looked at the, the content of the mystery and, and really it can be kind of summed up in uh, three phrases that, that Paul uses. And those three phrases are that the Gentiles are, are fellow heirs, fellow members, and fellow partakers and are all part of one body, one new body that the Lord is building. So that's uh, where we left off. So we will pick up with the, the fourth one here. And the fourth one, it kind of ties back into the, the first one. But Paul reflects again on his uh, ministry, uh, his commissioning by God. So it's uh, who delivers it, and it's the, the preacher. It's Paul the preacher is the one that delivers the message of the mystery. And again, just for clarification, the mystery that he is talking about here, the mystery that he is writing about, it is a doctrinal truth that previously was not known because God did not reveal it. And within this text, it actually says that God hid it in himself. So there's no finding out what it is because God kept it hidden. So when you go through the Old Testament, you're not going to be able to find out about the church because it was uh, something that God had hidden. It was a mystery. So it's that which previously was not revealed and cannot be known until it is revealed. And so the, the whole mystery is summed up in basically um, that statement that the, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, uh, fellow members, and fellow partakers. Um, there was that middle wall that we, we went through this morning. We talked about it from uh, Ephesians chapter 2. There was that middle wall, the law that was in place that made that separation between Jew and Gentile so that they could not have any unity. Uh, Christ removed that through his blood, through his death, uh, burial, resurrection. And that has been removed. So there's the possibility of unity, and the unity is in this a new structure that God is building. That's how he refers to it in chapter 2. And the new structure is the church, and the church is that place where that unity is possible. And it's a, I say it's a new structure because Paul's clear on that. It's made of a new body. There's a new foundation laid. There's new teaching. So it's a, it's a new structure. It's not, it's not something that previously existed that the Gentiles are being added into. It is, it is a new thing that he is doing. It is... Uh, it is uh, the mystery of, of Christ and the church. And we talked this morning about some of the things about Christ that um, were a mystery. They understood that there was the Messiah, that the Messiah would be coming. They understood that there was um, Gentiles would be included, but they did not understand the full picture of Jesus being uh, incarnate God, fully, truly God, truly man, that he would come to die, that he would suffer. They thought that the Messiah would come and conquer. Uh, he did not. And, you know, there's certainly places in the Old Testament where you can pick up on that that would happen. But it, the whole thing coming together is, is the mystery. So that's a, a quick summation of what the mystery is. And the gospel is the, the message, message of the mystery because it is 
a message of salvation um, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So that uh, that uh, gets us here to verse verse seven, and so this is the the fourth the fourth point here in verse seven. Uh, Paul kind of goes back to something that he's already spoken on, and it says, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. So Paul is the the preacher that God uses to proclaim uh, the mystery. And we can think in, uh, if we think back to our study in Galatians, right, in Galatians, Paul spent time um, alone, Actually, I think I have it here in my notes. Do I? No, he spent time um, alone preaching and establishing the churches and going through the gospel because he was given the gospel directly by Jesus. And then after many years, he went down to Jerusalem to confirm basically that they were preaching the same thing. And they were. But he was preaching the message that was directly given to him by revelation. And then the apostles in Jerusalem uh, confirmed it. So Paul is appointed to this this ministry. He is the the preacher of the mystery. He is given the special commission to preach unto the Gentiles. That's the you know, that's the call that God has for him. And we can read all about that through the book of Acts that he establishes uh many churches in the book of Acts uh through the preaching of the gospel. And we see here, too, that he he says that he was appointed to this ministry according to the gift of God's grace. And I like the the redundancy that he has there, the the emphasis, I guess, not redundancy, it's emphasis, uh, that, you know, if it's a gift, it's of grace. But he says it is by God's gift of grace, that it is God who commissioned uh, him to this work for the Gentiles, and I, he says uh, later on in the text, he calls it this grace, and he's referring to the grace of being commissioned to the proclamation of the gospel. There's a pretty good summary of, of the ministry of Paul in Acts chapter 10, and I have that in my notes, so I'll just read it, Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 10. And, and it says this, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Lord, here I am. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen a vision, and a man named Ananias came in and laid his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So there we have uh, insight into the, the calling of Paul. We see Paul's specific call that God is going to use him, that the Lord is going to use him to bring the message to Gentiles. He says before kings in Israel. And we can see that all throughout the book of Acts that, that Paul is, is preaching. Paul is uh, proclaiming the gospel wherever he goes. 
couple more passages I just wanted to look at that kind of sum up a, a number of things that, that Paul is dealing with in this passage, and it's where he's kind of talking about this, some of these same topics. And again, I have these in my notes, so I can just read them here. Uh, the first is in Galatians chapter 1. And he says, uh, Paul says this, he writes this about himself. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in, in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who set me apart even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was, re- was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and turned once more to Damascus. So there's, there's Paul's testimony of, of how things uh, uh, played out in his life. He was called, he understood that it was uh, God's call upon him to preach, and it was a ministry unto the Gentiles. Also, you can, you can look at uh, Colossians chapter, chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, and he kind of deals with the same topics. He talks about his ministry of the mystery, and he gives a little bit more, uh, a little bit different information there that kind of helps fill out the picture of what the, the mystery is. So those are the first uh, fundamental truths or the foundational truths that he gives us about the, about the, the mystery the means of its delivery, the timing of when it came about, the, the content, and then the one that was appointed to be the preacher. Uh, next, we'll move on to uh, three more points, and these are three foundational truths about the ministry of the mystery. Uh, so these are specifics that we see in this passage that have to do with how, um, how Paul in his life carried out the ministry of the mystery, what, what, he, what he did, some of the details of that. And the first one is the first, uh, the first of the, the three foundational truths about the ministry of the mystery is that it preaches Christ. And we see this in verse 3, or sorry, chapter 3, verse 8. To me, the very least of all the saints, the grace was given, uh, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. So the content of the ministry of the mystery, I should have picked something that was easier to say, I guess, um, is the unfathomable riches in Christ. And it's interesting in this sentence, the, the way that he structures this sentence, is, and, and even he, in the English here you can see it, uh, he front loads it with the, with the object. He says, to me, um, and then he refers to himself as the very least of all the saints, and you know this. This for Paul. This isn't. Uh, this isn't hyperbole, or uh, being dramatic, or false modesty, or anything along those lines. It's Paul having a clear understanding of of who he is, of who he was, and of who God is. And I, I suspect that that each of you. Here, just, just like me, the more that we study the Scriptures, the more that we are in the Scriptures, the more we understand who God is, the more we see about ourselves, uh, the more our sin just uh, shines forth in our, in our thinking, the more we see our own sin. 
the more we look at who God is, the more we see our own sin. The more we are in the scriptures, the more we see our own, our own sin. And Paul had a, a deep understanding of, of who God was or who God is, um, of who the Lord is. And so he, he had the, the right perspective that he was um, the very least. And very least is, is a pretty good translation there. Um, it's an interesting adjective in that it is a, it's a superlative comparative adjective. So like a, a more literal translation would be lesser most because it's, it's comparative and superlative. So very least is, I think, a pretty good translation because lesser most isn't, isn't really a word. But that's, that's kind of how it, you know, how that's how you kind of bring it into English based on the meaning. So he says that he is the very least of the saints. And he's, he says things like this in a, in a couple other places where he writes and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, he says, uh, I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle because I persecute, persecuted the church of God. And in, uh, to Timothy, he writes, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. So he had a, a right perspective in who he was. He understood his sinfulness. He understood that his former way of life, we just looked at it in, in Galatians, that his former way of life was persecuting the church. And, and on the road to Damascus, uh, Jesus said to him, Paul, why do you persecute me? Right? When, when he was persecuting the church, he was persecuting Christ. So he was one that actually actively was persecuting Christ. So he understands that he... Uh, he is not worthy to this position. Um, it is of God's grace. And we talked about it a little bit this morning, you know, from a human perspective, from a man's perspective, uh, to take somebody that is the, the number one opponent of the church and put them in a position where they're, another, they're the number one proponent of the church doesn't make sense from a human perspective. But when it is God and God's wisdom and God who changes his heart, makes him new, opens his eyes, then it makes perfect sense to have him be the number one proponent of the church, the one that uh, God uses to establish churches, the one that God commissions to be the minister of the gospel. He says here that uh, he was to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Oh, and just uh, just back up one second. Another thing that I think uh, that stuck out to me is I, I like that he says that he's the very least of all the saints. So even in recognizing how uh, sinfully is even recognizing his past he still says it it is among the saints right so he can still say uh, that he has now therefore no condemnation he's still among the saints he's just the the least the very least of the saints in a you know I think uh, as we consider other passages it's because he's thinking about how he was we know that he he thought about um, what happened with Stephen as well and we can see that in in, in Acts when he uh, bears testimony prior to his in, imprisonment 
Uh, he's speaking in front of the temple, and he recalls that, um, and this is in Acts chapter 22, he recalls that uh, he was there and he gave approval to the stoning of Stephen. And that's something that uh, you know, certainly weighed on his mind. So part of the, the, the content of the, the mystery that he preaches is the unfathomable riches of Christ. Which ends up being, it's quite a task to try to explain or think through something that is unfathomable. Um, the, the root of the word that's used there, it's a, it's a compound word. It has the, the alpha negation. So it means you can't do this. Uh, the word, the, the noun form of the word, the root word is basically footprint. And then the verbal form of the word is basically to track footprints or to trace footprints. So it's, it can be used for somebody that's like tracking an animal. So there's, there's footprints that you can follow. So a literal understanding of this would be like unsearchable. You can't trace it through. So the, the riches that are in Christ are riches that just can't be tracked. You can't trace them through there. there there's too much uh, volume. There's too much depth. There's too much height. There's too much width. Uh, those are phrases that he uses uh, later on in the letter uh, so that it's unsearchable. It's like, um, like the, the ocean when you stand on the, this, the, the shore. It just stretches out further and further and further, and you, know, you, you have no hope of seeing the backside of it. And I think of that, too, when we, when we think about the, the Scriptures, uh, just as the more we read the Scriptures, the more we see our own sinfulness, I think the more we see the Scriptures, the more we see uh, the fact that we just we don't know them very well, the fact that we see more depth to them. I think the, the more that we read them, uh, we see new things, we see fresh things, uh, we make connections that we've never made before. So even within the, within the Scriptures, we just have this this massive uh, depth of, of information, of application, of implications, of, of connections and all those things that could be made. And as we try to explore the riches that we have in Christ, which, you know, is in the Word, that's what we run into is we can't come to an end to, of it. Uh, we can't search out that which is unsearchable. Uh, some of these riches that, that we have in Christ are, are detailed in chapter 1. And in chapter 1, he goes through a number of different things that, that God has done for us in Christ. And uh, I'll just sum them up. So the riches that we see from chapter 1 are we have um, election, Adoption, redemption, forgiveness, reconciliation, revelation, glorification, and assurance. So those are all, you know, big theological terms to describe all of the great things and all of the great blessings that we have in Christ. And if you, you know, you can read through chapter 
chapter one, and you can see all of those things and all those things that that have been done for us. And, you know, you know, just an amazing breadth of accomplishments of grace extended to believers that we see in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. So the mystery is, the ministry of the mystery is a mystery of preaching Christ, of preaching the unfathomable riches in Christ, preaching the message of uh, salvation, preaching that, that in Christ those who are spiritually dead can be made alive. That's going back to chapter 2. In chapter 2, he starts off with, you're dead in your trespasses and sin." sins and that's where we we would remain unless God acted and it says by grace you are saved so God transforms us from that kingdom of darkness from death to life and that is all part of this this message that that Paul preaches in preaching Christ Paul sums up the the gospel message in 1 Corinthians in uh, chapter 15 and I'm sure we we all know know it and it is um just quickly summed up in chapter 15. And he says, says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. So a quick summary of, of the truths of the gospel are uh, he refers to him as Christ, so that's the, the anointed one, the Messiah, came, died, risen again, and then he goes into uh, the ascension shortly after that. Next, Paul goes into another aspect of what the preaching or the ministry of the mystery is, and this is found in verse 9. And it is a mystery or a ministry that brings light. And he talks about this as part of the, the job, part of the, the ministry that he had. And he says this in verse 9, And to bring light, bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which from ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So it is a mystery of bringing to light. It uh, brings light. It shines uh, light. It brings truth where truth has not been uh, known. Because he's again, he's referring to that which was hidden. So he's bringing forth that which was not known before. He's bringing forth, again, the, the gospel message. He's bringing forward, again, that, that message of God's work in creating something new, the church. Um, he says, um, what is the administration of the mystery? And it's, I think, the administration there, we can understand it of what is God's, what is God's plan, what God is doing. 
It's what is God up to. It's his plan that is being revealed. Paul here notes that it is uh, God who created all things, and I think that the, the idea of, of, of bringing this into view here is God who created all things. It's God that created all things from nothing, right? You think back to, to Genesis in the beginning. He speaks and brings it into existence. It didn't exist, and he speaks it into existence. And the church did not exist, and through his word he creates what did not exist, and he creates it. He makes this new thing that did not exist before, right? Because there was separation, there was enmity, there was a barrier in the way. It is all removed in Christ, and so he makes a new thing. And again, just as a side note, um, I'm emphasizing that it is a new thing that that he has created because I want to make sure that there's not a misunderstanding that it is the church is getting added into Israel or Israel's getting added into the church. It's a, it's a new man. It's a new thing. It's a new foundation. It was something that was hidden, something that did not exist. And I think Paul is going to, to links to make sure that we understand that. So I want to make sure that that is clear as well. It's not, uh, we don't become Israel. Israel doesn't become us. He has made a new thing. Uh, there's, and, I think that's you know one of the importances that we see in in chapter two is that there's there's a new foundation and it's and it's Jesus Christ and that there's a new man created and the law is removed that was against us so it is a an administration that uh, that's this plan it brings light and looking back to Ephesians chapter two. Uh, He says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So, that's um, that's back in Ephesians chapter two verses nineteen and twenty, and again a look at God's work in establishing the church. Uh, we see just some of the language language He uses there. Right, the Gentiles are they're outsiders, they're strangers, they're aliens. Now they're fellow citizens. They're fellow citizens of God's household, and we see that He's just He uses language there that it is being built. Uh, it has a foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Jesus is the cornerstone. So this is the, the new edifice, the new structure that God is building. Uh, that, again, which has, which has been hidden and is revealed now uh, in, the, in the New Testament. In the third... A foundational truth about the ministry of the mystery is found in verses uh, 10 through 12. And it is a ministry that magnifies uh, God's wisdom. So in the church, we see the wisdom of God magnified. And when I say magnified, it's uh, just to be clear, it's, it's not like to make what is small look big. 
it is the the other way around it is it is to demonstrate in such a way to show the greatness of God so that he is properly esteemed so it's 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 not to make what is small look big it is to probably pro- properly understand what is what is big and to give uh proper reverence uh, another word could be like extol uh along those lines so it is a ministry that magnifies the wisdom of god and as we go through this i'll i'll um I'll, there's a couple times where i think i'll try to to summarize some things because there's a lot to have to track through here but each and every step along the way magnifies god's wisdom it shows forth god's wisdom um and we'll let's read uh, starting in verse 10 uh, this was all done, it's a, he says, in order that, uh, so here's a, a purpose, that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And, and we'll stop there for now. Uh, the word for, for manifold is uh, uh, another compound word that he uses here, and it, and it basically means much varied, much diversified, um, it's the word for much, and then a word for, it's actually, uh, the, the second word is a word for very col- colorful, and so in like the Septuagint, it's used for Joseph's coat. Um, and in the Gospels, it's when Jesus goes and healed, heals manifold types of diseases, so many types of diseases. So the word that he's using here, he's saying it's much manifold. Uh, and some translations have multifaceted, and I think that's a pretty good translation because that that kind of gives the idea of that it is much varied. And when you think of different facets of like a like a diamond, you turn it, and every way you turn it, it shines shines differently at different angles and things like that. And so the wisdom of God is shown like that through the church, through His plan uh, that has developed. Uh, through the unfolding of the mystery, we see all these different aspects of the wisdom of God on how God uh, planned, how God acted. Um, the wisdom of His plan unfolding. And the wisdom of God is demonstrated uh, through the church. So I think, it's, I think it's demonstrated through the church in a few ways here. And the first, the first way that is demonstrated in the church is the, the existence of the church. I think that's uh, certainly one of the ways that Paul is getting at here. And as you read through the, the rest of the book, you see that the wisdom of God is shown in not only the existence of the church, but when the church is functioning the way that it should. So when there is unity within the church, because God made one new body and he wants uh, unity... He uh, calls us to be unified within the body. And then when the body is functioning how it's supposed to, then it glorifies God and showcases God's wisdom. So the very existence of the church shows his wisdom. And then when the church functions how it's supposed to, God's wisdom is uh, shown. Uh, In the latter part of verse 10, he says, uh, and this wisdom... Uh, is shown through the ch- church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. 
So this seems to be a, a reference to the, the angelic realm. Uh, they are shown God's wisdom. It's God does not declare his wisdom. Uh, he showcases his wisdom in establishing the church. And so it, it's, it's hard to say if, if Paul has an, a narrow view of the spiritual realm here. Uh, we know from, from 1 Peter that, uh, that the salvation that God brings about, that angels uh, look into it. And I, I have that in my notes here. So this is uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse uh, 10, or starting in verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. In these things, which now have been announced to you, through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in, into which angels long to look. So Peter kind of gives us an indication there that, that in the angelic realm, there is a, a desire to see what God is doing, to see God's plan unfolding. And certainly here where it says in the heavenly places, it's, it's, I'm not 100% sure the way he's using that. Because the way he uses that in chapter 1, when he says uh, heavenly places, we have all the blessings in the heavenly places. He's certainly talking about like the, the spiritual, spiritual realm. And so here, it, I'm, you know, I, I'm not dogmatic on whether he's only talking about angels that have kept their first estate or if it's also to, to fallen angels. Um, if both of them, the wisdom is displayed. I think it's it's it would be true that his wisdom would be displayed to both the you know the angels that kept their first estate and to the fallen angels so it would be true so I don't I, I'm not sure that I want to be too dogmatic or narrow on that because I think that I think there he's in this text he's probably saying the the heavenly angels but certainly um his wisdom is displayed to all as they see his plan unfolding so I think at this this time, just to kind of package some of this together, how his wisdom is shown forth, and we kind of trace some of this through from chapter two. So chapter two, uh, in the beginning of chapter two, he starts with the he deals with like the first main problem, right? And the first main problem is that we are dead in trespasses and sin. And then in chapter two, he gets to a second major problem, is that there is a barrier between. Jews and Gentiles. And it is clear that the, the, you know, from the Old Testament that Messiah will come, that the Messiah will uh, deliver. And so if you, if you trace through what happens, Jesus comes, uh, he truly man, truly God at the incarnation. And at the cross, it could possibly be seen as a defeat, right? Jesus comes and he's crucified, right? Um, Peter, in his sermon at the day of Pentecost, uh, says this, he says, This man delivered over to you by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God that you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. 
But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. So at the, at the cross, we see that uh, certainly uh, wicked men, wicked people put Jesus to death, but it was all part of God's predetermined plan. And it was his plan before the foundation of the, the, the world, before creation. And so at the cross, it could seem, uh, seem like a defeat. But God, in his great wisdom, at the cross, through the death of Jesus, through Jesus bearing sin, uh, from that point, it is possible to have the church. The church is able to be established. So that which may have seemed like a defeat is actually uh, an absolute triumph. He conquers sin and death, and in conquering sin and death, uh, those that are in Christ have the ability to conquer sin and death. By raising from the dead, those that are in Christ are crucified with Him and risen again to new life. By dying, He removes the enmity that is between us in the law. He breaks down that middle barrier so that Jew and Gentile can be one because the law is fulfilled and there is no distinction anymore. So as you, as you trace these, these thoughts through, you can see God's wisdom. You can see God orchestrating and planning and putting all the pieces into place. And, and just to be clear, God is never reacting in any of these situations, right? This is God's plan. That's why Peter says, this is God's predetermined plan that Jesus be crucified, but you crucified him, right? It's, they're, they're both true, right? It was according to God's plan. It was according to God's purposes, but they were responsible because it was according to what they wanted to do. They wanted to crucify Jesus. So through the whole, the whole process of est- establishing the church, there's all these different problems problem of sin, problem of division, all of these things that God in His great wisdom and in His plan worked to remove so that He could establish one new, previously unexisting uh, edifice made up of all those who believe, made up of those that uh, save by grace through faith, that have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that uh, no longer have the ordinances of the law against them. And it is in this structure, this new thing that God has created, the church, that His wisdom uh, shines, shines forth. And all that, all that He has done before here, He's leading up to this to say, this was in order to show his wisdom in the church, to show his great, uh, his great plan, his great work, uh, to glorify himself through grace and, and mercy and through the sending of his son. And so really, when we, when we think through this and we look at this, this is an amazing plan that, is, that has come together, that God has put together in establishing um, a body of believers. And again, the, 
The church is made up of those who believe, those that are saved by grace through faith, that God is the one that uh, makes people's people members of the church by saving them. And this is God's, God's work, showcases God's wisdom and showcases God's um, great mercy and grace. So the ministry of the, the mystery is a ministry that magnifies the wisdom of God. Paul in his preaching, preaching about uh, Christ, uh, the preaching of the gospel, it all magnifies the wisdom of God, that God has done all that is necessary so that we may be made right with him. I think one of the uh, the passages that sticks out most to me in the to me in the book of, in the book of Romans is in uh, chapter three, where you see God's amazing wisdom on display, and His holiness, His justice, and all of those uh, aspects coming into play is where Paul says that God might be just and the justifier. So God has done all that is necessary to satisfy His own wrath to be totally and completely holy, right? God is perfect in all his attributes, and so he has to be just. He cannot uh, wipe sin under the rug. He cannot overlook it. But in Christ, he is just and the justifier because sin is dealt with, because sin was dealt with on the cross. And because it was dealt with on the cross, Paul can call, as as he says in... Um, Romans, that God can call the ungodly godly. And, you know, that should be kind of a shocking statement to us. Wait a minute, God is calling the ungodly godly? You know, that is, that is actually an abomination. God says that's an abomination to call the ungodly godly. But it is possible in Christ that he can call those that are ungodly godly because he is just and the justifier. And so we see God's wisdom on display in the salvation of individuals and in establishing uh, those individuals as part of a church, because that's, that's God's work, right? He saves people to be part of the church, and then he gifts them for building the church, for working in the church, for ministering in the church, and it is within the church that God, that God is, is working. God says that he will build his church. God says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It is God who works in building and establishing his churches. And, and we know from the, the book of Revelation, too, it is God that removes churches as well. He establishes them. He equips them. Uh, he gifts those that are there. He gives the Holy Spirit, and he will remove them uh, if they are not functioning as he wants them to function. So in verse 11, we see that... This all came together, this mystery unfolded, all of these things came together, uh, all according to his eternal purpose, which he carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So all of this is only possible in Christ. We only have the church because of Christ. We only have the church because in Christ, all of the problems that he talks about in chapter 2, they've all been dealt with. Uh, The sin problem's been dealt with, the Enmity between Jew and Gentile has been dealt with. And 
in Christ, God's plan unfolds so that the church is established. In verse 12, he, he ends with a, another thought here that, that it is in Christ that we have access. Uh, he, verse 12, in him in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. And if you think of the, the issue that he's dealing with, this issue of Jew and Gentile, uh, the Gentiles uh, did not have this access to God. There was no access because they were cut off. They had all those, the, all those withouts that we, we, that we talked about. You know, they were without Christ. They were without community, without promise, without God, without hope. That's, uh, that's the Gentiles. And then in Christ, we now have access to God, uh, direct access to God. We don't have to go through, through a priest, right? In the Old Testament, they went through a priest. Uh, Gentiles, they had no access. They had no access in that way. They were, they were cut off. And now in Christ, we have full access. And this makes me think of uh, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 14. And it says this, uh, speaking of uh, Jesus. And, and by the way, the book of Hebrews is, a, is uh, one of my favorite books because it talks about the, just the preeminence of Christ. I, ju- I just love the, the book of Hebrews because it's all about that Christ is, Christ is better than anything that you can think of. All the law, all the systems of it that they had, Christ is better than all that. All those things were just a picture of, of who Christ is. And it says this in Hebrews chapter 4, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all way, ways and all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So in Christ, we have this direct access to the Father. Uh, we no longer need uh, different mediation. We have Christ, uh, the eternal high priest, or the forever high priest as as the writer of Hebrews says, and we have him as our mediator and we have direct access to God. So this, again, is, is part of this mystery unfolding. The Gentiles had no access to God in this way. And now in Christ, we have full access to God. And, and Paul develops it even further in other, in other portions of Scripture. Not only is it full access to God, it is access in which we can cry, Abba, Father. It's, it's a personal, personal access that we have to God. So to, to sum up those, those last three that we just looked at, those three fundamental truths about the ministry of the mystery, um, the ministry of the mystery, it preaches Christ, it brings light, and it magnifies God's wisdom. And uh, we can see that uh, God's plan unfolding and God dealing with all of the sinful problems of man, dealing with the problem of even the law that he had established that made a distinction between Jew and Gentile, that has all been removed. And now 
God works within the church, works uh, in building his church. It is a structure he is building. He says it is a temple. It is a place where God dwells. He dwells among his people in the church. And it's an, it's an amazing an amazing thing to, to try to really grasp and think about how important the church is to God and all that God accomplished in establishing the church. All of the problems that were dealt with, all of the, uh, the sinfulness that was uh, removed, the sinfulness of man, all the obstacles in establishing the church. And it's really this this portion here that one you know as I was reading through Ephesians and wanted to go through this book, it's really this portion here that I that really stuck out to me because you know if you if you read it and you don't read it very slowly, it's not very easy to to follow what's going on. It's he has a lot of description and he has a lot of different things going on here to describe what is happening, but you know ultimately we see that that the church is. God's work, God has established it. It is the place where um, God has placed individuals that He has saved in order to build one another up, to to minister to one another, um, to glorify Him. And again, this is all for His glory. And so hopefully as, as we think through these things, we have a better understanding of, of what the church is and all that God accomplished in establishing the church um, and all the, the things that were necessary in establishing the church. Uh, to establish a church, it was necessary that Christ die. Uh, and it says, he says later on in, in Hebrews that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, so the so to to get back to the beginning question is is do we do we love the church in that way? Are we committed to the church in that way? Um, what in our what in our lives shows that we are committed in that way? Do we make decisions or plans in our life that would keep us from gathering as believers as God would want us to? You know. These are all things that we have to think about. You know, it's things come up. I, I, I'm not saying any of those things. I'm talking about the, the things that we know or we haven't planned uh, correctly or accordingly. And it's like I can think of times in, in my, own, my own life that, you know, I just sometimes you just don't feel like coming, right? Because you're, you're fleshly, you're weak. But it's like you come because the Lord wants you to come. And when we gather together, there's there's never been a time that I've come that I've regretted it. Right? It's it's where God would have us be. It's where God wants us um, to minister to one another. You know, so much of the so much of the the messages to the church are messages of one another's of those things that we're to do for one another, to prefer one another, love one another, uh, comfort one another, pray for one another. You know, there's there's so many of those things, and that takes place in the setting of when the believers are gathered together. Um, it, it should be taking place, uh, you know, certainly when we're gathered together, but it's the, 
the work that God does in building the church, it's, it's, uh, it's a thing that God is constantly working at, right? He's working in each of us. He's gifting. He's building up. He's teaching. He's encouraging. Uh, God is doing all those things uh, for the church. And he does that, um, again, for his, for his glory. So do we do we love the church as God does does our does our orthodoxy again our thinking our, our doctrinal thinking the things that we hold to be true does that match our orthopraxy which is how we function how we live you know do those line up when it comes to the church All right, let's let's pray. Father, we thank you again just for your word of truth, for all that it tells us about you, for just the, the, the ability to, to have a look into what you have planned and how you have carried it out, your amazing plan of salvation, your amazing work in, in dealing with our sin, Lord, and being just in the justifier that you have done all that is necessary, Lord, so that we might be made new, so that we might be forgiven. And then you have blessed us by uh, making us uh, members of this new work that you have started. Uh, new at the t- time of writing, when, when, when Paul was writing, but you have been working at uh, since then. And Lord, we thank you for uh, just your goodness and all those things. Thank you for your, your great plan that we can see unfolded. We thank you for your great wisdom demonstrated in how you have worked things out that, it, that even through the, the death of your son, Lord, that may have seemed like a defeat, was an absolute victory in conquering of sin and death. Lord, we thank you for the church. Pray that you would help each of us to uh, to love the church as you do, uh, to desire to be part of the church, to be desire to be part of the work that you are building. Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, equip us to do the work. Pray that uh, we consider each one uh, more important than ourselves. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.